0: Welcome to Media Industry Conversations. I'm your host, Kyle Rather. The speaker series was developed as a part of a course in the Department of Radio, TV, and Film at the University of Texas at Austin. Students hear from industry professionals who talk about their experiences, knowledge, and thoughts on the changing media landscape. This week's guest is Patricia Torres-Bird, the Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of United Broadcast Consultants. A graduate of the RTF department, Taurus Bird travels the world consulting broadcast corporations in many different countries and regions about branding, content, and new media platforms. The areas she's worked in include Central and Eastern Europe as well as Central America. When she's not traveling the world for work, Taurus Bird is based out of Houston, Texas. She spoke on October 1, 2015 on the UT campus and was hosted by Dr. Elisa Perrin.
1: Howdy all. Welcome to our next installment of the Media Industries Conversations to those who are new here. And thanks, as always, to TAs Kyle and Tim, as well as to Cindy McCreary, my co instructor. So please join me in welcoming our next guest. Uh, She is currently the vice president and COO of United Broadcast Consultants, based out of Houston. And in that role, as we'll learn today, she's involved in management and market development, focused on communications and content strategies for multiple platforms across the U.S., Europe, and Latin America, most specifically. So join me in welcoming Ms. torres burt So thanks for coming in. I don't belong to that
2: list. So they must have canceled and they
1: threw me in. It's no, no. We're thrilled to have you uh, give us a very different perspective. I, as I was saying to her just right before class, she's our first Texas guest. Everyone's come from Los Angeles so far. And so we have a very different perspective, I'm sure, that we'll hear um, about opportunities in Texas and career trajectories uh, that are possible. And so with that, let's just sort of start with how did you uh, – End up, uh, you know, t- just a general question. How did you end up in your job? No, more broadly speaking, how did you get from
2: RTF to here? What was sort of the road you took? I wish I could tell you I had a master plan. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think most of what I've gotten to do has been sheer accidents. And and I'm that person that's obnoxious that raises her hand and says, I, I, I want to do it. Um, and by doing that, I had crazy, insane bosses that I'm sure regretted and said, okay, let her try it. And... It took me to where I'm at today.
1: Yeah, so you, uh, maybe where did you start out of RTF? What was sort of the
2: job trajectory? So first of all, I came to UT wanting to go to uh, veterinary school. And there was this small little detail that I didn't, understand science and the (laughs) professor dropped it after two weeks they all sat me down and said you need to drop this so i audited an advertising class and then i audited an rtf class and said oh this looks like fun i want to do this so i um did my internship at ktvv which is now kbvo i think here in austin and um there's there's a hysterical story behind that but i won't i won't share it now i almost got fired on the first hour (laughs) and um Then when I got out of school, I had difficulty finding a job, which, you know, be prepared. It's not easy, but you will find a job. And I um, offered to do anything from clean floors to do whatever I could just to be exposed to what they were doing. And luckily, uh, U, which is a CBS affiliate in Houston, took pity on me. Um, I really think I stalked them before stalking was a name that everybody was using. (laughs) And um, they hired me. And three months after I started working as an assistant producer there, they got sold and they canceled all of their local shows. So now I had no job. And they came to me and they said, would you like to work in the traffic department? And I was so excited. Helicopters and doing traffic for cars. This was awesome. I told my mother I was going to be riding in helicopters all day. Yeah, no, they were talking traffic and sales. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... Long story short, I took the job I didn't want to do it, and spent the next four years really learning the revenue side and really the key part of financing a TV station. And so that was a great lesson for me. And that just from there, I went to Telemundo, and from Telemundo, I did other things, and that's how I got started. And
1: I, you're, you're whizzing past it, but I actually want to know. So, like, what did what kinds of work did you do at Telemundo?
2: So, with Telemundo, after being at K2 for several years, um, Telemundo was launching. And, you know, nobody, nobody expected there to be a second Spanish language network. My father, Spanish Torres, you know, said to me, do not leave a very good job. There would never be another network in the United States. Not, nobody speaks Spanish. And I went, and there was literally 15 of us launching the, the stations across the country. And by some crazy accident, I was put on the team to launch the newsrooms that also worked with CNN and Espanol that were working with CNN because it was a a marriage as well as MTV Spanish. And then they put me to work to launch Houston, the Houston station. And when I say they put me to work to launch the Houston station, there was four of us. (laughs) And um, there was no studio, there was no team, there was nothing. And so it forced me to do what I think you guys do. You roll up your sleeves, you learn from your professors, you get involved in a project and in a class. And you, when you're working in your production class, you pull cables, you do what you need to do. And you know what? I do that still today. But it taught me a lot. I made some mistakes. Uh, Luckily, I wasn't fired. And um, from there, Mm -hmm. I think that experience of launching a network and being part of a team and how difficult it was, I think I thought, ooh, I think I want to do this. And then by sheer accident, I've ended up doing that.
1: Wow. Wow. So now you work for a consulting company and have you been in Houston this whole time or? So now um, in
2: 1993, did I tell the story? Sure. Yes. yes, yes. Okay. (laughs) So the official story that my, my husband's in the business also, the official story my husband will tell you is that he was headhunted. They came to him because he was so fabulous and we ended up moving to Eastern Europe. The truth is that um, there used to be publications, media publications. Now it's all online. But uh, there's a uh, media publication called Broadcasting in And they used to have ads. And there was literally an ad the size of my thumbnail. And one thing that it said, we're looking for salespeople to move to Eastern Europe. I wrote his resume and his cover letter, and I sent it in, but I didn't tell him. (laughs) And the reason for that was, I thought, if they don't ever call him, what's the damage? I haven't done anything wrong. And three days later, they called from London. Now you need to understand, there was no internet here at this time. And I had a laser jet printer that printed like this. Uh, (laughs) And we were in the yard doing yard work, and the London call came in. He had no idea. I had to go upstairs, hand him the phone. He didn't know what was happening. I had to go print the resume, and he was literally flipping me off as he was talking (laughs) to these (laughs) people. He was so furious with me. Five days later, he was in New York for an interview. A week later, he came home with a bottle of champagne, and we moved to Slovenia to form part of a group, which was Central European Media, to launch the very first private TV stations after the um, Iron Curtain came down. Wow. So, again, there was five of us. I wasn't hired, uh, but we went over there, and as soon as they found out that I was in the business, they hired me because they said, you know, we can't bring in more Americans. It costs a lot of money to bring families. And uh, lo and behold, we ended up being involved with 17 of of the biggest launches in Eastern Europe. Um, And I have to be honest with you guys. I went over there thinking black and white socialist TV we're gonna show them a lot and it was the opposite. They, had, they were much more advanced, much better cinematography, much better lighting, much better promotions, much better graphics. I really didn't teach them a thing. They taught me a lot.
1: Wow, so how often were you moving from station to
2: station or city to city? So we were very lucky in 1993 we moved, Karen was tiny, tiny, Um, (laughs) that's my daughter who's here laughing at me, and um, we moved to Slovenia which ended up being a hub, we launched a very 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 powerful TV station there that, that is still doing very well, and CME allowed us because we worked together. They allowed us that to be our home base, and we would go for months at a time. And then we ended up living in Romania for several years, and uh, we didn't come home till 2007. Oh, wow. Thought we'd go over for a year. <laughs> Those
1: things work out sometimes, I guess uh, So when you moved back home, you were still
2: traveling a lot As yes. soon as we moved back home, I got, I got my dream job in Serbia as a general manager for a station I always wanted to work with And so I left the kids here with the husband and the world's worst mother And I commuted, I would go two weeks there, one week home, two weeks there, one week home for a year and a half
1: so you've talked a little bit about your trajectory, but maybe it would help because you do work that I think a lot of us probably aren't so familiar with, right? To just kind of walk us through, you know, what, what kinds of things do you do? How do you do them? How do you prepare for them? That sort of thing.
2: So I solely run a TV station launch it all by myself. Yes. <laughs> now, as, as you well know and you will find out, this is a very labor-intensive industry and it takes a village to do anything. It's very difficult to do anything on your own. So um, I usually am very honored to work with teams of people and my my job description really varies based on the project. Sometimes I launch a TV station like I've just done in, in Lima, Peru uh, where we started with five people and not a station and we built it and grew to 105 employees and built a newsroom and trained, you know, journalists and did a business plan and trained the salespeople, did the branding, all of the things that involved in launching a TV station. Um, I'm headed to a project back in Latin America right now where I will be relaunching and rebranding one of the most powerful media outlets in that region. And that's probably going to be harder than launching from scratch because you have to change the brand and relaunch it and do all that. And then next, next year, I'll be working with uh, advertising agencies, opening up satellite offices. So there's a variety in what I do, but it's always about the same thing. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what a great TV station you have or how many drones you have or how much equipment you have, what, what is it that counts? Your audience. If you don't have a way to engage your audience, if you don't have good content or good branding that resonates with that audience. It doesn't matter how pretty it is. It doesn't matter what part of the world you live in. You have to have that. So it really boils down to content. Um, Is it news content? Is it programming that you buy? Is it production that you create on your own? Is it content that you're leveraging across platforms? Is it print? Is it journalism? Is it news? How is it that you're reaching that audience? Because without that audience, you can't have the metrics of measuring who you're talking to and and how you're interacting with them. And without those metrics, guess what? There's no ad revenue. And without ad revenue, it all gets shut down. It doesn't matter. So at the end of the day, that's what I do is help them with how to engage with their audiences. While we do all the background and the business planning and all that we do, no matter how many business plans you do, without that content, you have nothing. So, are you dealing mainly with
1: local stations, uh, with uh, cable channels, with, like what
2: kind of platforms and outlets are you working with? Generally? So, I think nowadays, you know, TV can't only be TV. I think it has to be TV and what other platforms are you reaching your audience? Are you doing heavy social media? Is your online delivery very strong? Um, what kind of streaming are you doing? Everything you're doing. I work with cable entities. I work with TV stations in most other countries. TV stations are national. They're not local. So here we have Austin stations, and we don't have a Texas station. I don't think we do. No, there's no Texas stations. (laughs) But most everywhere you go, it's national. So you'd have, you know, pretend, you know, KLRU here would cover the entire country. So you work on that level. Um, And sometimes I work with the advertising agencies, or sometimes it's a combination of both. So the TV station in Peru, we would not make it if we didn't get on cable. So I had to work very closely with the cable companies to find out from them what they were looking for, what was missing on their uh, offer to their clients. They really liked that we were doing a very different kind of newscast. Uh, They also gave us some ideas on programming that we should incorporate. And it doesn't mean that we do it just because they want it, but if we want to be carried on cable, we have to figure out how to make it attractive to them because we're not a must carry like, like some of the other stations. So you have to work with them and then you sit with advertisers and find out, you know, what are you not getting in the market? What can we do for you? So. I sort of do work with everybody in that in that area
1: okay so um yeah I guess I'm curious I mean a lot of this I'm sure is very new for people so excuse me if I'm asking very basic questions no no no. um what is it like to work with advertisers versus you work with I'm I'm assuming only commercial outlets are you working with government at
2: all oh that's a great question um I work with some nonprofits and I work with some government agencies but I also work with commercial side and I think that that there's, there's a trend now happening where agencies and advertisers are really looking how to better leverage their brand with all the different areas. So they're not shutting themselves off from, for example, PBS, where I have done some work. Um, so you, you have to find a way to, to help that client or that nonprofit or that government agency help them grow their audience. I mean, it'd be like each one of you here is the ideal audience that most advertisers that I work with would want to go to. I work with Red Bull a lot. So, you know, and, and by the way, if you guys don't know about Red Bull Media, you should check it out because not only do they have great content, but they're always offering internships.
1: Yeah, I've heard a lot of yeah. talk.
2: They're doing yeah. a lot of really original. They have three great jobs right now in Austria, if anybody wants to go there. Well,
1: there go. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um Yes. So... Okay, you work for Red Bull. What are you doing for them versus what are you doing for a nonprofit, I guess? So, for example, somebody like Red
2: Bull will have a campaign that they want to do, and we worked with them in Peru. Uh, they were coming in. They were doing a big initiative for um, skateboarding, and they were doing really – I don't know if anybody has seen it. They've done some videos across the, the country and in other countries where there's the skateboarders on, a, on the back end of an 18-wheeler and they do all kinds of tricks and they do that. So they were gonna drive them through the cities of Lima, but they really hadn't partnered with a media company. And so we partnered with them to put it on TV, to get them more leverage and to do events with them. So it's how do you help their effort go further? And of course we were desperate to have that content. Are you kidding we were <laughs> Like, yeah, it's gonna be on us.
1: Okay, and so then if you're working with um, say a nonprofit. Is there a particular one you could give us an example of that you worked with? So
2: specifically for me, the responsibility for media is huge because what you do, how you say it, really impacts the community that you work with and how you serve. And so to serve a nonprofit um, in any way, shape, or form, I think is, is not only a must, I think it's a responsibility. Uh, oftentimes, we work very closely with several different nonprofits for um their efforts, let's talk about, for example, this is October, October Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Breast cancer happens everywhere in the world, unfortunately. And October is International Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So where, wherever I may be working, we work a year in advance on a campaign to bring awareness for breast cancer, to make sure that our viewers know, you know, what kind of support there is, what kind of, what's the latest that they have. So, so I don't work directly for that nonprofit, but we definitely do things to support them. And what happens is the following. I am sure that most of you here, unfortunately, have your families at some point have been touched by breast cancer. So if I have something on TV or on one of my platforms that resonates with some experience you've had, I now become more trustworthy to you. And so it helps us as a media to work hard and to serve those nonprofits. So it's it's relationships. This business is all about relationships. When people tell you it's not what you know, who you know, I would turn it around and it's it's who you know, but how you can work with them and how you can help them.
1: So how do you prepare for these jobs? Like mm-hmm. what kind of research do you do? How much do you have to learn when you're just arriving on the ground? So um,
2: you know, you have to do a lot of homework still when you're an adult, it's awful. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I do a lot of research on the country that I'm going to be working in and on the project I'm going to be working on. I try to get as much background about them. And I have to have some background before I get the job anyway. Because it's not like I can just go knock on the door and go, hi, I'm here. Um, Second of all, I try to do a lot of research on the market trends in that specific country um and try to figure out what their what what's coming up next, what their competition is doing, what's happening in the industry. Um everybody's having the same issues worldwide. Um ad revenues are shrinking. Um, your target audiences are more segmented. It used to be that all of you could be a target audience, but nowadays I'll bet you only this group is somebody that I could really reach and and go like that. And therefore that means I have to work just as hard to get 10 people as I would before to get 1,000 or 500 or 400. So I try to do as much homework also in in, um, the culture, what the culture is speaking, what works and what doesn't work. I can't just come into a country and decide to do something because um, it's backfired. I've done it before, and i made mistakes. I, I wanted to stand in Slovenia, actually, and when we first got there. I wanted to stand on the street. We were launching this huge TV station. There was a lot of publicity about it. And I thought, I'll stand in the in square, and I'll get people's opinions. And my team said, it's not going to happen. And I said, yes, it will happen. Everybody in the world wants to be on camera. <laughs> I stood there for nine hours. Not a single person would speak to me on camera. These people had come from behind the Iron Curtain they didn't trust it so did i learn yes so
1: so what kinds of i mean really nitty-gritty but like what kinds of sources are you using to find out this information how are you even learning this stuff this is the academic in me wanting to know
2: no no i mean you have to you have to you know thank god for the internet Uh, i i'd have to live at at the library i think um you have to just read up there's there's some really great um, ad agencies and public relations firm and research firms that are putting their studies and their findings online for free. And I'm telling you, I that's all I do. I, I try to really find out what are the trends in Latin America, what are the trends in Eastern Europe, what are the trends in the United States. I look a lot at what Nielsen puts out. Um, I read Hollywood Reporter has, I think, some great 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 articles on what's happening in the industry I highly recommend you subscribe to it as a student you're gonna get a huge discount and um, um, I, I subscribe to Adweek Uh, because I think it talks about what's happening in the advertising field and what clients are looking for, not only in the United States, but worldwide. So whatever I can get my hands on, I'll read the cereal box. It just doesn't (laughs) matter. I'm just constantly looking, looking to see. And, And, you know, very specific. If I'm going to Peru, obviously, I'm going to be looking for Latin America and Peru. If I'm going to Eastern Europe, I'm going to be doing that. And I would recommend that whatever you guys are focused on or what you think you're passionate about, Begin doing that. Begin getting disciplined about what you like. If it's film that is your your love and your passion, you know, start reading up on film and start figuring out who you want to work with. If it's TV, same thing. If it's radio, doesn't it, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's helpful. Um, So how the company you work for in Houston is is how big is that? What kind of divisions or what do people do there besides you? We're
2: very, very tiny because I am, you know, the person that runs around, my husband and I work, and we work with other people that we hire for projects. So really this company was started as a lark. Uh, when we went overseas, they, they couldn't pay us um, locally because we didn't have a work permit when we first got to Slovenia. So we had to start this company so that we could get paid as a company, and that's how it started, and that was 1993. So it's a very small company, but we work a lot with, for example, if I get a project in, I'm talking right now to a big producer to bring them in and help me with a news project that I'm going to be doing in Latin America. So I don't do it all. I know what I know, and most importantly, I know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, what are some other companies that are competitors, sort of for my stu- the students to know? You know, if I'm looking for this kind yes. of job.
2: Because, <laughs> so I, I would think that most consultants are people that. Are not working and couldn't get a job I mean I'm serious it's a joke that we talk about all the time um, I left my career because I was tired of the 95 and I was I really was burned out in news I, I was working really crazy hours So now I work crazy hours doing something else but um, I, I decided to go into consulting and knock on wood it's worked out for me. Um, I don't really think there's competition. Mm -hmm. And I thought your question was brilliant when you asked me that question. And I really thought about it a long time. I think there's other consulting entities that, that do this, but we sort of support each other. For example, if I get a job or somebody calls me about a job and I can't do it, I'm definitely going to give it to, to someone I know because they'll oftentimes do that for me. Or we can partner up on a, on a project. Um, and, and so I don't see it as competition because I, I, there's probably about a hundred of us running around the world like gypsy crazy people doing this. <laughs> and we, we run into each other all the time. So it, it, it's about a community that you help each other. Okay,
1: so as a community I guess then the question is sort of where do you all meet up? Are there places where you
2: engage with each other yes um first of all email thank god for email that you can do all that um i don't know you're going to ask this later but i'm going to go ahead and bring it up now it's okay you can go out of order um <laughs> you have a fantastic event that takes place right here at ut across the street at the Bilo building and are you any of you familiar with isoj anybody raise your hand <laughs> So Rosenthal Alves every year from the Knight Foundation puts together my favorite conference of the entire world. I will not miss this conference. I feel like it's the best one. I get the most out of it for three days that I come here. It is dirt cheap and he is amazing at putting people together. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think there's about only about 700 of us that show up. So it's very intimate. It's not 15,000 people at NAPI. So you get to meet people, you get to talk to them, and you really find out what is happening. Now, I know a lot of you, when I said International Symposium of Online Journalism, are going to go, I'm not a (laughs) journalist, I don't belong there. Not true, because this is all about content. Online journalism, do you think it's just little letters? No, it's a lot of images and video and content. So you've got people from the New York Times. You've got people from B-Low that come. You've got people from CBS. Univision was here speaking uh, last year. You've got a lot of experts. There was 41 countries represented last year. So you get to talk to people, you get to meet people, you get to find out what they're doing in Ukraine right now, you get to find out what's happening in, in Moscow through the censorship. You get to really, really find out. And it's, it's like this, we sit in an auditorium and we work. I mean, there's, there's what we're doing here. It's a presentation and there's Q&A and we get together. Rosenthal has us like this. We have five minutes for bathroom breaks and we work hard. But I will tell you that I meet the most people at that conference and I learn about things that I didn't really know. So if you're still here and even if you're not here, sign up for it. He's going to put the roster up very soon. And if you're going to be here, raise your hand and volunteer and come for free because he needs the help and you're going to love it. Sit on the floor and when you see someone speak that you think are interesting, go up and talk to them. You know, you were there last year and you did it. I dragged my daughter there last year. Um, so, so, you know, and it's, it, I do that. I see a speaker and I'm like, okay, hi. And I join them for coffee. And one of those speakers took me to South America last year to speak with her on a presentation. So you can do it.
1: And I know you've done NatP and MIPCOM. So maybe you can tell, I've mentioned to the students about opportunities to volunteer for NAPI. So maybe from your perspective, you could talk about what MIPCOM and NATP are, what they entail, that sort of thing.
2: So it's. Imagine the southwest, uh south by southwest of, of media taking place in Miami. It used to be in Las Vegas, thank God they've moved it back to Miami. <laughs> about fifteen thousand television uh programming executives from all over the world show up at Napi. And about the same for Mipcom, probably a little bit less for MIPCOM. MIPCOM is in Monte Carlo in Cannes, to be exact. And um here's the thing you just don't show up to those events to meet people because most of the work is already done ahead of time. You have to schedule the appointments and literally people's schedules are built every minute. But if you can go there, it's like being at Disneyland the first year. I I didn't close my mouth the first year. I was like, you know, because the sets are amazing. And there's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of great talks. And if, if you can get an internship, having an internship that you worked at, either one of those is, is quite impressive. And actually, they have really good jobs that they offer, too. So it's a fan, it's hard work, but it's a fantastic place, place to be. One of the things that I find really humbling about those two events is um, the person sitting next to you will be, you know, an executive for Sony Pictures or a very famous director. And they are looking and pitching just the same way as someone that doesn't have very much experience. So it's a bit of an equalizer, you know. So it's, it's, it's really impressive to see.
1: Well, it's interesting because there's panels where people talk about, you know, the state of everything, right? So you get a very good snapshot on what the conversations are in a sort of intense
2: period, right? Very much so. <laughs> very much so. And also the trends. Yeah. And what's been successful and what's been not,
1: yes. Yeah, I mean, Nat P, I don't know how long you've gone, but it's changed significantly, as has the industry, right? Which is sort of my next question of, you know, how much has your work changed and how much has the industry, from your perspective, changed, the way you do things in relation?
2: So I think um, we used to have a lot more time to react and to do things. Now everything is instantaneous. Um, You know, when I worked in news, you put a newscast on, and now when you put a newscast on, the news already broke five hours before you on AOL or Twitter or wherever wherever you get your news. So now you have to really act faster. Budgets are smaller, so people have to do many more things. Um, Budgets are not only smaller on the side of of being able to run a business, but they're also smaller on the side of the advertisers that are willing to pay for it. Your audience is that much more segmented, like I talked about earlier, where you used to have a a TV station in a city and you'd be sure to compete with three or four others. When now T V stations are competing with cable, they're competing with online, they're competing with digital, and so that piece of the pie gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And you really have to know who your audience is in order to be able to survive, otherwise you'll lose them completely. So you're constantly, you know, reacting and and that's great if you can do that, but it's also very dangerous if you're overreacting because you tend to lose who you really are. So it's that balance of you know, not like little cats follow the shining, you know, object. <laughs> you sort of have to understand what your goals are and how much you can go out of those goals. Uh, and so, I think, um, you know, the industry used to have a lot more money, and and I think now it's got. You have to do a lot more with less money, and that makes it tough. It it really does. You have to stretch, stretch a lot more. Are
1: there certain trends or buzzwords that you're particularly hearing a lot these days or trying to act
2: on? So my favorite is binge watching. <laughs> I just love it. I love it because it's something that um, I, think, I think five years ago, most programmers and, and content providers would have had a heart attack and said, no, you can't. You can't do it like that. But what a, what a, more, what a fantastic way to keep your audience so, you know, I think, uh, everybody thinks Netflix started it, but they didn't. AMC started binge-watching. Does anybody know about AMC starting binge-watching with uh, Mad Men? So they released Mad Men, and they nobody wanted to pick it up. As a matter of fact, a lot of, a lot of cable entities didn't carry AMC. AMC used to be the American movie channel. It was very boring <laughs> until they started doing their productions. And so AMC did a brilliant move. They put... Um, Not all of the episodes, but about six episodes at at a time, on your VOD and on demand on cable, and people started watching one episode after another and telling their friends. And Mad Men became what it is today. And then, of course, now with Netflix, you know, hello, I have sat and watched 14 hours of House of Cards (laughs) and Orange is the New Black, and you know, it's it's amazing. So I think that's a buzzword, and I think ad blocking is a buzzword because that's going to exist now forever. Um, it'll be a million and one ways on how to block ads because none of us want to see ads. I live, I can pay my rent because my husband sells advertising, but I don't want to see them. So how hypocritical am I, right? Mm -hmm. But but they get in your way. So how are we going to get around that? And how are advertisers going to be able to get past, is it going to be the rolling spot? Is it going to be product placement? Is it native advertising? You know, how is that going to evolve? Yeah, and actually I wonder if people are familiar with what native
1: advertising is. Do you guys know what native advertising is? Maybe if you... I
0: think it's a piece of content that is disguised to look like something unique, but it's actually an advertisement.
2: So I think you're absolutely right. And I think it can be actually created to be um, a a, a spot that is a, a piece of content. It's disguised as a piece of content. But also, native advertising can be accidental. And um, Tiffany, uh, my daughter's sister, uh, her boyfriend just did something really unique that I think is key for native advertising, which is why I want to tell you about it. They drove a 25-year-old BMW from Cape Town, South Africa, to Munich. And they took GoPros and they recorded it. And they had hours and hours and hours and hours and hours hours of footage. Um, But they didn't really know what to do with it, and they weren't producers and all that. So Vice came knocking on the door. And Vice did an eight-minute piece, and I I can send you the link so you Mm -hmm. can put it on. Did an eight-minute piece on, you know, they compressed the content, they did some interviews, and this car, I won't tell you what happens because it's a great little story in eight minutes. This car goes from Cape Town, South Africa, all through Africa and places where there's war and gets to Munich. And there's an emotional part of this, why this car was taken. So here's the thing. You watch this eight-minute piece. I watched it because it's my daughter's boyfriend. But you watch the piece... And at the end of it, you don't realize you've seen an eight-minute commercial for BMW. Now, you're not going to go out and buy, or maybe you are, I don't know, I would love it, <laughs> you know, a 20-year-old Beamer. It's a three-series <laughs> Beamer that's pretty beat up. But it doesn't matter. What, what have you gotten out of this very positive story, the branding for BMW? There's a beautiful documentary, if any of you are into this. Um, it's hard to find, and I think it's because they had some rights issues. It's called The First Twenty Four. And it is a crew from the NFL that had full access to the Le Mans race. It was the 1990, I think it's six years old. And they they embedded themselves both with Audi and Mercedes-Benz. And you watch this thing. I won't tell you who won. But you don't realize that you just watched the two-hour commercial of the win. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. Mm. But that's native advertising so in terms of
1: um advertising or just generally uh, system to system you've obviously been involved with a lot of different national contexts regional contexts how different do you find it to be we hear a lot of talk about you know global village and homogeneity of culture do you, you know to what extent do you see that as true or do you really have to tailor and refine what you do for the different places you go
2: Great question. <laughs> um, first of all, I think that people are people are people, and it doesn't matter what part of the world you come from or what language you speak, people will find your content on whatever platform you're giving it for two reasons and two reasons only. Information and entertainment. That's it. There's no other reason to do that. Either you're coming to find out news or learn information or you're watching cat videos and having fun or watching <laughs> Red Bull Millions. So those are the two reasons. So if you, if you go from that premise um, and and that everybody wants the same thing we all do whether you're in india or you're in taiwan whether you're in peru whether you're here in austin texas you know you want better things for life that's so why you're going to go to information you want fun and entertainment you want to get away from your life you know you've had a bad day you're, you want to go home in bed so um while you take that overall universal appeal You do have to, at times, really tailor it to the different countries and the different nuances. So, for example, in in Brazil, um, there's some very strict laws about production and their content. Most of their content is locally produced because Brazilians consume Brazilian content. (laughs) In Peru... Um, they import a lot of their programming. And so right now they're having this huge wave of Turkish telenovelas that have just rocked their world. You may go to Argentina and they'd be doing something different. You may go to Eastern Europe. Uh, my, my, one of my favorite things in Eastern Europe is, aside from Hungary, Um, and Estonia, no country wants their their programming dubbed. So every show has subtitles that they bring in because they all want to hear it in their natural language. So you, you would tailor your promotions and you would tailor the content that you buy and what you put on based on the country that you're in. But with that, those two main things, information and entertainment, it makes their life better and community engagement.
1: I guess building on that, so given that you've dealt with both news and entertainment programming um, at different times, like, do you have to operate very differently when you're dealing with uh, news divisions and news programming versus entertainment? And how, if so?
2: Yeah, very, very <laughs> different. News people are impossible to deal with. Um, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're journalists. Um, and I don't, I don't say that disrespectfully. It's just that they have a very different way of approaching things. And you just, you have to make sure they have all their tools. And it's very expensive to produce news. Very, very expensive. And, and most important, you got to get it right. And so if somebody makes a mistake, it could really cost you not only by a lawsuit, but it could cost you your trust in your brand. So you really have to have people that are trained, people that know when to, if they have a question, to go to their editor and ask a question, and people that know how to check their facts. I mean, and, and if, if there's a piece of advice I can give all of you sitting in this room, don't retweet something just because you see it. Open um, Open the link read it and make sure that it's something that you're comfortable and if if it's something that's really bizarre fact check it because if you retweet it someone down the road is going to say that you didn't check your facts and so you're passing things on and so in today's world of social media we all get oh, i want to be part of the conversation i want to do it uh, <laughs> and i cannot tell you have you heard about the mermaid project in in poland in poland okay so this is brand new so the polish is a city in, in warsaw city event did this fake youtube video look it up it's gotten like five million hits where they rescue this mermaid from this lake and the guys are dressed in and it's terribly shot handheld camera and you really think you're watching like oh my god somebody found a mermaid and they put on a and stuff. people have sent this over and it's a complete setup and they did it to see how many people would do it and four million people did Yes. thanks <laughs> so, so with news news you have to you have to be very careful you have to make sure that everything you put together is true you cannot go off the reservation and, and give bad facts um, like I said it's very expensive and FYI you can never pay for a newscast ever a newscast is never you can never pay for a newscast on its own in a TV station a radio station a platform or anything so what how do they how do those teams survive they survive by other other areas of TV stations, radio stations, and content, because that's the most expensive part of, of uh, I a mean. thing. So in the entertainment side, we all want to produce, we all want to have a show, we all want to travel the world and shoot videos and, and, and interview, we all want to be Anthony Bourdain. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, maybe Anthony Bourdain would not keep a local show like Anthony Bourdain, it's not viable. It's just not viable. So therefore, his show has to be on a network that can, can get a lot of uh, viewers worldwide. So you really have to look at what the idea is and say, does it fit with our audience? Does it fit with what's happening? Can we promote it? Can we invest the money? Is it going to grow our audience? Is it going to fit with what we're doing? And in television, you always are working at least 14 to 16 months ahead of time, trying to figure out what, what's coming next. And it's like a big puzzle I call it a puzzle. you're constantly moving the pieces in, in programming. So so when it comes to entertainment, it's it's a little bit of, of it's expensive, but it's not as risky as news. So
1: do you um, deal with acquisitions? Of, yes, absolutely. Okay. so are now 14 or 16 ones out. are there certain things that you're noticing that you're that you're trying to buy or do you deal with certain
2: vendors quite regularly? So first and foremost, I'm a consumer, I watch TV, I love it, and I veg out, and my daughter can tell you I watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's when I, I want to shut down my brain and I don't want to think, that's when I watch. Um, and, and, and here's the thing, and why I'm telling you I watch it, because they do a great job of making social media and Bravo and all their branding. When you tune into Bravo, you know what you're getting. You're not going to get an at Geo commercial. You're not going to get a documentary. You you know what you're getting when you go to Bravo, just like you know what you're getting when you go to ESPN. So um, the the way the reason I started asking your question that way is looking at what's happening and what trends are, are working are very important in program acquisitions. So relationships i told you earlier it's not what you know but who you know it's not about that person that's going to give you the job it's about the relationships that that you build as you start your career and you start going out and i hope that you build the relationships with the people in this room i have to tell you there's people that graduated in my class that i really wish i'd kept in touch with they become very famous so um you know distributors will call me and they'll pitch me and they let me to nap me and they, sh- they tell me that they're doing something I've got a distributor right now that, that has just launched a, a production that is taking Latin America by storm and they're about to launch it in Europe and so they give me a first look and then I go back and I say look and I represent the station and I do that and we go I try to go to the la screenings those are a lot of fun because you get to see what the networks are pitching as their new pilots and and what's what's going to be coming and you know it, it sounds like a lot of fun I'm watching tv i get to do all this but it's really expensive in terms of what you're buying uh you can spend millions of dollars in programming and if it doesn't work you're out of a job not only that the station has really lost a lot of money so to is it a v-
1: quite variable in terms of how much are acquisitions versus how much is locally produced content
2: where you go from place to place so i'm not very popular with this theme wherever i go and here is why I can buy a show that is has a million dollar production, let's call it a series that every episode costs a million dollars to produce, and I can buy it from most markets, maybe not US national, but from most markets, for about ten thousand dollars an episode. Do the math. <laughs> okay? For me to produce anything remotely close to that, I'd have to invest a million dollars per episode. There is no way I can get a million dollars back in advertising revenue for that one hour. It's impossible, impossible. So when I go to projects, everyone is a producer, everyone wants to produce, and they, ha- they want to have 60% or 70% of their content locally produced, versus what I call canned content. And I try to switch it a little bit as much (laughs) as I can. It doesn't mean that I don't believe in production. It just means that you can test a million-dollar show, and if it fails, you only spend $10,000 only. That's a lot of money. (laughs) But if you spend $100,000 to $200,000 to do a pilot, and it doesn't work, you never get that money back. Um, If you do a local show that can't be seen in other markets, where else is it going to be? If I do a show here at KBV, I think it's called, or like KLRU, let's say one of the one of the TV stations here, and it's only for that station here. Well, if we didn't make the money back in advertising, what happens to it afterwards? No one in San Antonio is gonna buy it if it's all Austin-centric. So that's that's the risk in programming. That doesn't mean I don't like local production. Trust me, I love it. But when it gets to the revenues and numbers, so um, what I always tell people is if you have an idea, how can we do it so that we can leverage it and maybe take it beyond this TV station? How can we take it somewhere else? So can we tell a short little story? Oh,
1: yeah.
2: We love stories. Uh, I was in, in, a, in a job in Serbia, and this cannot happen in the United States, but it would be great if it could happen. We're, we're getting some times. <laughs> yes. He just keeps me on track. Yes, uh, I talk too much, so tell me. Go like this. Uh, or give me this, you know. Um, so I was in Serbia, and I was giving this this feel, and the producers wanted to do a show a 15-minute show. Has anybody seen Taxi Cab Confessions on HBO? was very similar to that, except that they put cameras, and this was 2004. They put cameras in, GoPros didn't exist. They put cameras in a, in a regular taxi, and during the election year, they had... candidates drive the taxi and so (laughs) this was their idea and i said it will never work and we're never going to do it and we're not going to spend the money and we're not going to leverage it anywhere else well thank god they proved me wrong because not only were the the video that we got was fantastic the women and the the passengers that got in would go call their daughter or their husband and say, my God, the country's gone to hell. We have to leave. We have the finance minister driving a taxi. And then the taxi driver, the finance minister, would get lost, and they would scream at each other, and he would tell them. And within two days, we were the number one station. We only aired it for 15 minutes after our newscast. And then the prime minister called and said, I need to be on. (laughs) So we we knew we had a hit, and here's the thing. They formatted it, and they sold the rights to the formats worldwide that's how you make money back on a production. So it was a great idea that was very local. Can't, can't happen in the United States because I can't see Donald Trump driving a taxi. But, <laughs> <Obviously never. laughs> but you can do it in a lot of countries. And so that investment really leveraged itself. So it was about sitting down and saying, they convinced me, I wasn't for it, but um, how do you leverage it in order to make your money back? And they, the investment on that show... I have to tell you they made it back a hundred times by selling the format. Wow. Has it made it to the U.S. as a formatted show yet? No, but I just sold it to Argentina. Oh, wow. Argentina's going to do it. Yeah. Wow. They hadn't heard of it and they were like, yes!
1: So will you represent that format to sell to other locations? I haven't been with that station since 2004
2: and I was in a meeting and we were talking about doing something interesting for the the, uh, political race and I picked up the phone and called them and they said it's available. Wow. The deal, yeah. Wow. So,
1: with locally produced programming, does that tend to appear in primetime versus
2: the imported programming or is it completely variable? You just try things out? I think if it's really good, um, you could definitely try it for primetime. Primetime is going to be the area where your advertisers are willing to spend the most money. And primetime is your area where your ratings are the most important. And so if you have something really, really good and you're going to spend a lot of money, it really should be on prime time. Yeah. But it really has to fit with your genre and your branding. And, and remember I said earlier that when you tune into Bravo, you know exactly what you're getting. When people tune in to the place that you'll be working, whether they tune in on a TV screen or whether they go online to click it, you should know what you are expect. When you go to Vice, you know what you're going to get. When you go to Vox, you know what you're going to get. When you go to BuzzFeed, you know what you're going to get, right? So that's the kind of thing that you go to it because you're beginning to understand their branding. Well, in any kind of content that you do, it should fit within the content that you're working on. Okay, so
1: the CAN programming, it sounds like you're both negotiating those deals year-round, and you're also going to MIPCOM, to NAP, to, um, and just so people don't know, LA screenings are events that are held in LA uh, right after Upfront That's right, every year, and... We'll talk in class about upfronts um, if you don't know what they are. But basically, when the new fall schedules are announced,
2: everybody does the dance. Hi, we're going to show you this, and, right? And you go, yeah, that's great. And
1: LA screenings are sort of after that when they sell it to all the buyers yeah. around the world, right? Right. right. Um, so, in terms of when you're buying local programming. Uh,
2: Are people coming in and pitching you at the station or, okay. So, so most, uh, you know, uh, if if any of you are interested in production or you're interested in creating formats or you're interested in working on a local level, I, I think LA is a great market. I, I wouldn't move to LA. I, I just don't, don't think you have to be in LA. I think Texas is a great market. I think Miami is becoming, you know, a really important media market. And of course there's New York and there's Chicago. Um, Atlanta. (laughs) <laughs> Atlanta is a big market, Nashville, Tennessee is a huge market, Scripps is there, Home and Garden TV is there, I mean there's a lot going on, Connecticut is a big market, mm-hmm. so there's, a, there's a lot of other places and they're like, no I'm not dishing on LA, I'm just saying you don't have to move there. Um, but producers often will come in and they'll pitch a show and maybe they have a reel and maybe they have an idea and then if it's something that resonates with what we're trying to do then we take the conversations further. Producers need to come in with a budget. They need, you know, don't come in to someone and go, hi, I have an idea. (laughs) And it's gonna be this, you know, because no, you have to have, you know, our idea is this, you don't have to shoot a pilot, but you should have something, or it's gonna look like this. Give me a five minute spiel, edit something off the internet that you think that it's going to look like, you don't have to go shoot it. Know who you're talking to, by the way. Know that the TV station you're talking to does x y and z because if you pitch me a cooking show and we've never put a cooking show on the air chances are it's not going to happen so so you know really know your audience and have an idea because the first person they're going to the first thing they're going to ask you is a do you know what you're doing and b how much is it going to cost and if you don't know how much it's going to cost then there is no more meeting, because no one is going to have a conversation with you about something that 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 the cost is the unknown so the one thing I didn't do while I was at UT that I wish I had done is I didn't take any business courses and I didn't take any budgeting courses. And nowadays, if you can't get a class, there's so many online free things about budgeting and, and do you guys use AICP forms here for budgeting? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. There's a fantastic budget program on, that AICP provides. Go online and see if they provide a student format. It's one of the best budgeting formats I've ever used, and I still use it. I'm not at liberty to give it to you for free, (laughs) but um, I'll bet you that they'd be willing to do a discount for UT or something like that. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, And basically, it takes you through, there's seven pages of budgeting, and it takes you through every line, and I use it still. I can't say how many budgets I've done, and every time I do it, I forgot something. Because I'm like, oh, I forgot about makeup. Oh, my God, I forgot about food for the crew. You know, you have to go through. Because most of us go, yeah, my project is going to cost $100,000. When somebody tells me your project is going to cost $100,000, I can promise you, with all the money in the bank that I don't have, <laughs> that it's going to cost you two hundred and seventy-five <laughs> if you haven't used the proper budgeting. And therefore, we might have a problem. So producers need to come in with an idea. Have If you can't tell me what your project is about in two sentences – you don't know what it's about. Two sentences, no more than that. Who's your audience? And don't tell me everybody, because that's not going to work either. You know? Um, Total description of a project, two paragraphs. That's it. And then, of course, if it's your first project, and I'm sure you will have brilliant ideas, try and find someone that's done this before so you can pitch them as part of the project. So I've never done this before, but I've got so-and-so who's a great cameraman, and his credits include X, Y, Z, and D. Or you know what? My cameraman's never done this before, but we have an editor who's done this and this and this, because that adds credibility to what you're doing. Do you have
1: people come to you with uh, advertisers already attached, or will advertisers come to you asking you to
2: hire people to do the content? So, uh, different policies for different places. Uh, I tend to be of the policy that if a show comes, if a show comes but the producers wanting to sell advertising, it's going to be a nightmare because what's going to happen is the media company is going to be selling advertising to the same agency and the producers going to be selling advertising and the prices aren't going to match and someone's going to give it away and and then something's going to go wrong. Uh, it, it always does. So. I do not allow producers to sell advertising. It is just a policy that I don't allow because I don't believe producers are meant to sell their own project. Now what I do allow is if a producer comes in and they have an idea and they want to have, you know, there can be a car as part of the storyline, well maybe we can sit together and together we can go ranger Rover, or we can go to Ford, or we can go to chevrolet or we, whomever we can go to and we can help them get that free car free for the producer but money for the tv station or the entity so it's not all about i'm going to take all your money and it's going to be for me there's a formula that i want you all to understand that i learned and this is a brilliant formula that is very important when you work with a media entity and you try to produce or you want to give it to a tv station or a network you think the network is making all the money they are not. <laughs> they are barely paying the bills. So if your show costs a hundred thousand dollars per episode, and I'm using that as a number for us to just work with, they have to bring in three hundred thousand dollars worth of revenue in order to pay the bills. The formula is three times the cost of the show. Now that sounds like two hundred grand goes into somebody's pocket. It doesn't. Two hundred grand is going to involve promoting your show is going to be presenting it to advertisers to make sure that it gets leveraged and online and all the different platforms pays the electricity the desk the chairs the salaries and everything like that so out of that 200 out of that extra money they probably i'm going to venture take home 20 grand that's it so so um When people go, oh, but my show only costs $15,000. Well, if the slot that it's fit for is not going to bring in that much advertising. So one of the things I say is find out how much the station or the company you're pitching it for charges for a 30-second spot. There's usually 12 30-second spots in an hour. There's more, but few of them are sold out. Okay, so you have to count on six minutes of sales. So do your math and then divide it by three. And that's how much your episode can cost.
1: That's a very good piece of advice. <laughs> yes.
2: And I don't move by I have I had a couple of times done two point five if it was that good that we could squeeze in, but it's it's we end up canceling the show because we can't keep it running. Is that consistent from place to place pretty much? Worldwide, I learned this formula about 17 years ago, and I thought, yeah, no, this isn't true. It is true. Wow. Yeah, and once I started applying it, it it was brilliant. So I'm passing on brilliance.
1: (laughs) You're saving them a lot of time. Yes. Um, So, you know, obviously in the U.S., streaming platforms, Netflix, Amazon, that sort of thing, are freaking the industry out on the one hand, or for producers, seen as a good possibility for sales do you see streaming platforms evoking the same kinds of responses in other territories netflix or local regional that sort of thing
2: yeah absolutely i mean netflix is taking over the world (laughs) um and um you know i think that that don't be misguided there's advertising inside netflix there's a lot of product placement inside those shows and there are people whose job is to put product placement in those shows. I know it happened to, Rudy happens to do that. And so, so uh, and they make a lot of money, you know? So, you know, Netflix will pay Chrysler a million dollars to, or, excuse me, Chrysler will pay Netflix a million dollars to have a car of theirs inside one of their shows. They have to have a car anyway. So now look for the logos, you know? So there's, <laughs> there's advertising in there. Um, but I think it goes back to, you, you said earlier about audiences, I think the thing that we now have that is really challenging is that we all want content. We want to watch it how we want to watch it, when we want to watch it, and whatever platform we want to watch it. And so no longer is it, oh, I'm going to rush home at 8 o'clock to see this episode. Now, I used to come here at 10 o'clock in the morning and watch Days of Our Lives in uh, General Hospital. The upstairs lobby from the other room. Professors did not give classes from 10 to 12 when I went to school here because we all watched a soap
1: opera. I'm not kidding.
2: I so love that story. I am so... The entire con (laughs) building, people would be sitting on the floor watching a a soap... I don't even know if it's still on. Um, But, yeah. Yeah, in my TV
1: history class, I always try to explain how soap operas were so culturally important and everyone just looks at me like... Yeah.
2: By the way, they're coming back. (laughs) My trend is they're coming back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're going to see a lot more of that. In daytime or just... Time time. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. and already, I mean, Empire yeah. and that sort of yeah. thing, yeah. Um, so Netflix is sort of everywhere, increasingly. Uh, are are you having to negotiate deals for
2: multiple platforms, or is that really challenging for you to do? Yeah, and it's very costly, and it's very challenging, and there's a lot of unknowns. So, for example, if I buy, if I buy a, let's say that I buy a show from Red Bull Media. Um, the price could be a thousand dollars per episode, but it'll go up to two thousand dollars per episode if it 's on cable. so if you 're not on cable it 's a thousand, but if we 're on cable it 's two thousand and then if you want to stream it, you can stream it and that'll be an extra five to eight hundred dollars per episode. but you can't stream it at the same time that you stream it that you bought the show. So you might have a delay for 24 hours. So each different distributor has its own set of rules, and each different distributor has its own set of reporting. So they'll want to report some some weekly, some monthly. Um, sometimes you have to have staff just to do those reports uh, for those shows. So it really depends on who is creating this content. And for streaming, what's really unique about that is that if you can, if it's IP... Um, Boundaries. So, it can't, for example, if I stream something in, in, let's use Peru as an example. If it can't be seen in Argentina, they'll let me do it. But if that IP streaming is not restricted, they're not going to give it to me because that means they can't sell it in Argentina. You know? So we have to really make sure. But, you know, people are pirating things and all that. So, so but each case and each negotiation is different. And you have to be constantly negotiating. And there's a lot of trust. They have to trust you because they're not in Peru watching what you're doing.
1: And I'm assuming that when you're buying content or licensing content, uh, the prices are going to completely vary based on market size and audience and yes. that sort of thing. Yes. Um, speaking of audience, uh, so do you do audience research or what kind of audience research
2: you do? How does that factor in? Yes. So everybody in the world uses some sort of audience research data tools. Um, Nielsen has little sisters all over the world. Um, Ibope tends to be one that's used all over Mexico and South America and in some countries they have IABC. And basically the metrics are very similar. Everybody now is, is measuring uh, their audience through you know used to do diaries. they used to call you and see what you watched. Now it's all the digital measurement tools. and um, it basically boils down to rating points. And so if you if you're not familiar with what a rating point is or a hot level is or any of those things, please take some time to look at it. You can go to the Nielsen website. You can download the entire glossary to what it is. and it's actually really good to know. It's actually something good for you to have because you will be asked that question. And it's a very simple formula to figure out, you know, the television universe, households, and, and hot levels and, and rating points. And the world revolves around rating points. Media buyers and agencies will probably never watch a show, but they buy it based on rating points. And without a rating point, you don't get money. So it, that's the measurement that unfortunately we all live by. Um, and then it's the same thing for CRMs and impressions online and, and all that. So, you know, there is a, there is a report card there is a way that you have to you have to follow. We can't just say my video got eighteen thousand views. you, yep, show me. You know I need to see what you did. I need I need to have that in order to buy it. Do you do any sort of focus groups or anything like that? Yes, I do a lot of focus groups, and it really will depend especially if we want to do a local production or if we want to spend a lot of money buying a big uh, series that is produced from somewhere else. So if it's a huge expense, Even though I've known it's done well in another market, uh, we'll do a focus group to make sure that we're putting it at the right time. Because I may think, oh, it's a 9 o'clock Monday night show. And as soon as I put it on 9 o'clock, the competition does something unique and we have to move it to Tuesday. And the focus group will really help you with that.
1: Do you have any sort of rule of thumb in terms of performance that if it isn't meeting X metrics by a certain amount of time, then you're going to yank it or you're going to move it?
2: Yeah, um, I'm controversial here too. (laughs) Um, I say that nothing can be pulled before it's aired uh, for six weeks or six times. Um, I am of the belief and of of the teaching that you have to be exposed to something six times if you see a promotion, You'll remember what time that show is for six times. If you see a commercial for six times, you're going to want to go in and buy it. So um, people tend to get hysterical. Oh, my God, it's not working. Oh, my God, we have to move it. And I won't let them. If after 12 weeks it's still not doing well, then it's time to pull the plug. Remember something that whenever something is launched, some of you are going to go into branding, some of you are going to go into news, some of you are going to launch a series. Um, everybody wants to see what that new shiny toy is. Ratings go like this, usually. And then they go, ooh. <laughs> way down and then it takes time for them to go up and these are the two the second wave are the two measurements if you were launching coca-cola tomorrow coca-cola is a brand new brand you would have that exact same thing so it's it's proven over and over and over so Pulling and yanking and overreacting can be really detrimental. Not reacting can be bad too, so there's a little bit of fine balance and some drinking. <laughs> do, you, oh. do you think shows are given
1: more time or less time now than they used to be, or is it pretty consistent?
2: So I think that movies are not in the movie theaters now. They just go straight to DVD, right? And I think um, that movies don't play very long because they don't give them that right. time. Right, the window's really closed. And I think that's happening in TV. I think things are getting pulled. Um, and yet there 's some real duds that come out so, <laughs> you know, and so they they have to because the reason the networks pull those shows really fast is that most of the times when they when they launch a show they 've only got a sixty eight episode contract, and they 'll go ahead and just nip it in the bud rather than continue production because it 's money, money, money 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 that goes out so that 's why they do it
1: gotcha so um, i 'm going to open up for questions in a couple minutes, but before I do that. Uh, What advice do you have, if any, for students beyond what you've already offered, which has been really helpful?
2: So, you know, I think that you guys look at me and you probably think, oh, she gets to travel all over the world. Well, I'm the person that stands outside the window at 10 p.m. when the store is closed because I work so hard and go into my hotel and don't even order a salad because I'm so tired. So it's not that exotic, I promise you. Um, But depending on what you want to do, And you'll find it out i didn't know what i wanted to do i still i still don't know what i want to do Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm ancient and i still don't know what i want to do but find whatever it is that really inspires you and moves you and try and see if you can work there you know like i'd love to work at hbo i love what they do you know um and so i read everything about hbo um if there's something that really incites you become passionate and get Get well-read about it and get informed and try and meet people with it. And then I think something that we didn't have to worry about, we, because she's much younger than me, is your personal brand. Begin building your personal brand because today this is the walking resume. You know, what you're, what you're doing on social media, what you're doing on Facebook, what you're doing on, you know, resume, what you're posting to Vimeo, what you're sharing, um, that becomes part of your personal brand. And it's not about censoring what you do, and it's not about saying, hey, I'm at the party. No, it's not, about, it's not about not doing that. But begin to be part of the conversation, because you're about to go out into the big career world where people really look at that. They really, really look. They look at your Twitter profile. They look at your LinkedIn profile. They look at, you know, whatever other profile you've got. Um, and so, you know, they'll go to your Facebook. They, they will go to your Facebook page. You, you, have, to, you have to really begin thinking. I, I always tell people, if you don't want your grandmother to see it, do not post it. It's not that important to get out there. And the same thing about retweeting. I also tell people, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not popular with this, do not post political things. <laughs> if you're looking for a job, because here's the thing, if I'm looking to hire you and I don't agree with you politically, mm, you might go to the trash can. So now that you're looking for a job, stay away from religious and political postings because that's what people are looking for because you want to get your foot in the door. You want to get absorbed and learn as much as you can.
1: I'm, I'm actually going to cheat and piggyback on that with one more question uh, just because you raised it. Are there other things you look for when if you're hiring someone? Are there things that... Yeah, yeah
2: no. so because I was mentored, I love to hire people that haven't had work before. Um, but I I look for people that have done, you know, a resume that doesn't have typos. And I look for people that um, know a little bit about me and the project that I'm doing. So if you can tailor your, your cover letter to sort of, you know, include my name and my company name and, you know, don't, don't talk about sports if I'm not a sports entity. Um, and I also look for people that, that, through either the interview or their resume, I can get the feeling that they, they're willing to learn. You know, Because I will, I will tell you, I've worked on a lot of projects and I've hired a lot of young people who come in with attitude, who don't want to do anything. And it's such a shame because they're out the door in two days. Um, and it's, it's about giving you the opportunity. And, and, and don't sit in the back of the room, ask. If they tell you you're not invited, Don't get your feelings hurt at the conference table. But if you can say, can I join and listen, why not? people love that. They're like, oh, check her out. She's wanting to learn, and they, they include you. So don't be afraid. I was so afraid of asking anything that I now wish I could talk to that old person and go, you idiot! <laughs> you know, so so be be part of, of what's going on and offer to do the extra work, and if something needs to be done, say, can I, how can I help, and can I help you collate the pictures, and can I help you pick up the cables, and can I help you put them away? Um, there's one little thing I want to add that I think is the reason that I'm able to do the work that I've done. I am a master of no trade, okay? <laughs> I've shot, I've edited, I've scripted, I've carried tables, I've directed newscasts, I've done a lot. And I think that that allows me to put good teams together because I know what it takes to do it. I know that a promo can't be done in 30 seconds. I know what it involves. And so if I can give you that advice, even if you want to be the next Martin Scorsese, learn. watch what the makeup girls do watch what the costume people do watch what the lighting people do because that will allow you to be that much better at what you do don't just focus on one area that's really helpful advice (laughs) thank you Um, so do we have questions let's open it up
1: for yeah Becca Uh, I actually raised my hand while I were still talking about uh, the naked advertising gotta get it on yeah Um, About the native advertising, I'm not sure if it is technically considered branded entertainment or if there's a difference between the
2: two. It's a very controversial term, native advertising. Most journalists would just die right here, lay down on the floor and say no. Um, I think that you can call it whatever you want to call it.
1: (laughs) Um,
2: It basically is. There is content there that is either sponsored in or paid for. And or has been created, like my daughter's boyfriend did. It's created at some time, but now can be used to leverage. And I think that that's the trend that we're going to see more and more. We're going to see community created content that is going to be leveraged to serve a bigger audience. So you're going to see a lot of more YouTube uploaded videos. You're going to see a lot more news things. But but yeah. So native. It's it's a controversial, but it seems to cover the umbrella of all of those sayings um that's included in that you had a question oh sorry (laughs)
0: um i was wondering if you're familiar with and if you had any opinions on uh dubai's kind of emergence as um an international media hub um if you're familiar with like the dubai media city Um, and just like the big investment that Dubai's government has kind of placed in uh, broadcast uh, media, digital media, and new media in general?
2: It's probably the beyond Disneyland of the world when it comes to production hubs. And now there's a brand new one that's taking over, which is in India. I forgot the name of the new Indian uh, center. But um, Dubai is is a really unique market, not only because of the region where it's in, Um, But they're doing things in so many different languages, and and they're really planning. It used to be that in that part of the world, everything was very local, 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 and now they're really thinking global, global, global. So that's a huge market. Um, They actually have uh, probably the top promotion producers in the world in Dubai. And if you want to get training and you want to go, and by the way, they're always looking for people. And it's not a bad place to work. It's very expensive, but it's not a bad place to work very very expensive there's something i hadn't told you guys and i think it's really important is there anybody in this room that speaks spanish okay um this is a this is a statistic i'm about to tell you that has been that that has been uh, confirmed by google yahoo and facebook and it is quite shocking what you're about to hear so in the world wide web we all know that the number one usage of language is the chinese obviously because there's a lot of chinese people the second use, uh, language users in the World Wide Web are English speakers, whether they're native English speakers or w- any part in the world. The third fluctuates sometimes between Portuguese and Spanish, but Spanish really is usually the leading. You've got the top three, right? Chinese, English, and Spanish. Now, you guys know how much content is in the World Wide Web. Less than 10% of the content is in Spanish of the entire World Wide Web. So, if you speak English and Spanish is your second language, you would probably most likely not go to look for Spanish language content. A lot of these Spanish speakers, English is their second language, they have to go find content in English. So think about the opportunity for Spanish language content on the web. Mm -hmm. They are hungry, there's a 90% hole there. And let me tell you something, it's about to break loose because now everybody's on the web. Everybody's using their phones. So if anybody speaks Spanish here, that's where I would head. I would head to creating content that is global content. You know, there are no more boundaries. There are no more, you know, territories. You, the World Wide web, everything can be seen. But think about that. So I'm sure there's going to be another language further down the road. But for the next 10 years... Spanish language content on the web is probably going to be the fastest growing um, that there is. So I see a huge opportunity there. Yeah. Sorry that I no, went off I the reservation a on that. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> you had a question. You had a question.
0: Hello. Hi. You uh, mentioned that you, you. Oh my God,
2: they took notes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you, you said uh, earlier that you'd advise us to not be afraid to ask anything um i don't know if you if you were experienced with having that sort of fear of asking some people uh some questions was there ever a point where you were able to basically take that mantra and live with it how long did it take you to live with a mantra that you were you should never be afraid to ask anything
2: so i think that we are all self-aware and we're afraid and how can i go up to this total stranger right um i think when you get older you get the i don't care so much gene sort of i call it something else but i won't repeat it in this room um but um you know one of the things that happened to me is is uh you know i had a father that sort of pushed me i I moved around all over the world i was the shyest kid because i didn't know anybody and i had to make friends and and it sort of taught me that when i didn't talk to people people thought i was stuck up and so i started to trying to overcome that and i would go out to people and say hi i'm Patricia." I don't know anything. Can I hang out and just learn from what you're doing? And you know, if somebody tells you no, you don't want to learn from them anyway. Brush it off, call them a name in your head and go on to the next one. I bet you out of five people you ask, one will say yes. And that's the one that you want to learn from. So, you know, who cares? I used to care, I did, I did care. But you know, let it go, don't, don't be afraid. And, and I think it's in this industry, we expect people to ask. So if you're going to be in the media industry, you've got to get out of that headspace. You've got to go up to people and say hi. And, you know, don't be a stalker. I have been a stalker. Don't be a stalker. But, you know, go up to people and, and say hi. Go up to a presentation. The, the ISOJ, there's a, um, look up Janine Warner. She's written 25 books. She, she goes to Dubai all the time and gives presentations. Amazing woman. I saw her speak, and I was like... I walked right up to her. She was having coffee. And I said, can I sit down and have coffee with you? You gave an amazing presentation. She's now one of my best friends. She could have said go to hell. She didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I oh. making 10 work
0: for it. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, you mentioned a million dollars an episode for production of a TV show. I guess... If, you know, you made that sound super high risk, like what would be the attraction to a network to produce something like Lost or Game of Thrones where they're paying like upwards of 10 million episode?
2: So, you know, they never make their money on, on the first run. Syndication is where you make your money.
0: Okay, so that's the...
2: So that's, that's the thing. And, and so keep that in mind, too. You never make your money on the first run, ever. And you don't make your money on the second run and or the third run. Syndication is it. I was actually in the room... When they signed the uh, syndication for that seventy show, $1 billion with a B. Now there's been higher than that. But it was like people, people, people's hearts stopped. And it was a syndication deal worldwide. Um, so that's where, they, that's where you make your money. So the $10 million episode for, for um, Lost, and, and there's others, uh, they know... The down the road. I mean, House of Cards is already in syndication on TV. So they're already looking because that's a very expensive show to produce. Yeah.
0: Um, sorry, one more yeah. follow-up. You mentioned that they were selling like a model of a TV show. You like a format? Yes. Is that, can you like license a format? What's to stop a producer from just copying it straight up without, you know, so like something they see and then You just cannot copyright it? an idea.
2: And you will see lots of different versions of The Voice. You will see lots of different versions of Dancing with the Stars. You will see lots of different versions of, of the most popular flavor of the week. You can't really copyright. What what they legally cannot do is copy everything that from beginning to end on how your show is formatted. But um, I think I think people that are, you know, important networks and people that are serious aren't gonna take the risk on copying a show because they also don't wanna be in lawsuits. And um, when you license a program, you are going to pay very little money compared to what it would cost you to buy it already produced. And then you have to put your own production. I, I unfortunately, um, I'm ashamed to admit, but I brought Big Brother to Romania. Yeah. And um, I will tell you that uh, that and what was that question where you said the, the millionaire? Who wants to be a millionaire? So who wants to mil- be a millionaire. We made more money on the people calling in. We make $35,000 a day on the people calling in via text to give the answers than we did from advertising. And on Big Brother, the thing that most people don't know about Big Brother is that that licensing format is they give you the plans to build the house, but they lease you the cameras and the equipment and the master control and the engineers. And you know why they lease it to you? Because they know that Big Brother only lasts about two or three seasons and it goes from country to country to country. So that the, the content is, is um, it's, it's here in the United States forever, yeah. but it's very rare. It's very rare that it's, that it's done in the United States. Um, and so that, that format was not a million dollars. That was $45,000 for that, that format and then we did the rest.
1: And you can save your questions about formats because we have someone who comes in, Brian Edwards, later
2: in the semester, who, who is, works for the top person in the world, Mark Burnett. Formats. Yes. Survivor. Yes. Voice, yes. Apprentice. So yes. Lots more to come. Yes. I would love to come. <laughs> when is that? <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I won't be here. Oh my god. Will the video be available? Hmm? Yeah. Okay, I will definitely watch the video because <laughs> I would want to come and sit and watch that. That's going to be amazing. Well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Photography by Karen Bird. It's my daughter. I have to. I have to make sure that she. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's by the way. Um, I just did this yesterday. A really good friend of mine, who's really talented, did not have a picture in his LinkedIn profile. Do not do that because nobody will hire you. They will think you're some weirdo. Okay. So make sure you get a picture. It doesn't have to be a professional picture. Put something on your LinkedIn. If you don't have a LinkedIn profile, please start building one right now because that is your professional resume, and that's what people are going to look for. How
1: many of you have a LinkedIn
2: profile? Good, 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 Wow. Good. Impressive. Good, good,
0: good. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, I have a question. Um, you mentioned the, the three times rule, the formula for that. So when you go to pitch a show or anything, do you want to say, like, we can make this show for $100,000, but it's going to cost you all $300,000. Like, do you want to say that immediately? or Yeah,
2: so, so the formula is this. You need to know how much they're charging. So let's pretend that I'm, you're coming to pitch me, right? And let's pretend that I'm a network and that you have found out that my average rate for a 30-second spot is $10,000, okay? And let's say that I have 12 of those spots, in an hour. Let's make it, let's make it 18, okay? That I'm almost sold out in that hour because nobody sells 24 spots if they do. They have to have promotion and usually you're about 70 to 80% sold. So if I can make $180,000 in that hour, there's two things that you need to know. That hour. So is your show a 7 p.m. show on a Monday night or is your show a Tuesday morning, 10 a.m. show? Mm -hmm. There's very different shows, very different audiences. And then if I can only make $180,000 based on you called and found out my rate card, right, then that means I can only afford to buy a $60,000 show. The three formula? Yeah. Okay. Right? So if you're coming and you're saying, I've got the show for you for 7 p.m. Monday nights because you're going after this audience and it's going to flow very well with this other show. And I am say, give me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. And then I'm going to say, how much is it going to cost? The minute you say it, my brain is going, I can do that. I can do that. If you tell me two hundred thousand, I'm going. I can't. I can't do it. That's how you do it. Okay. It's work it backwards. Okay. But they have to do. They have to triple their money in order, and they're not tripling it. They're paying the bills in order to make it work. Yeah. I answered all your questions. I'm so amazing. Okay. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, kind of just like a lifestyle question, um,
2: how do you balance um, industry life and professional career with uh, family life? And- I totally don't. I am a failure. <laughs> I am a failure at it. No, really, really. I, right now, I'm, I'm really traveling way too much. Um, here's the thing. This industry is very consuming, and it's going to be very hard to do that. It's going to be very hard to do that in the beginning, and you're you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to say, I need, I need to work on it. And when you disconnect, disconnect. One of the reasons I quit my last job was I was expected to be connected 24 hours a day. You know, right now with email and our phones and everything like that. And there was, there was no balance. Um, so it, it's, it's really up to you and self-discipline. And if I can give you a piece of advice, while you're trying to make it in the career and you're trying to, to make a good impression, uh, don't stay till 10 o'clock at night if you don't have to. Because people get used to it, and then when you don't, ah, <gasps> she left early. What's <laughs> up with that? So it's okay to leave on time every once in a while. And on the few nights that you have to stay, stay longer. This is not a 9-to-5 industry, as you all know. This isn't. You know, shoots happen at all hours of the night. Crew calls happen at all times. Edit edit sessions go on forever. Clients require things. but But you will... You will have to you know and it saved me that my husband's in the industry because he understood otherwise i think he would have said see you later you know like right away so it's it's uh but my kids we, there's a rule we can't talk about tv <laughs> don't talk about it you know so you do have to work at it but i don't i i can't give you that advice because i'm a failure loser at that yes <laughs> I love
1: having him give me the microphone. <laughs> so I always ask the final question, which is, um, "What media are you watching? What what is uh, getting your
2: attention right now?" It's a huge fan of HBO, of all their new stuff they're doing. I love Vice, what they're doing with Vice. Um, what's this? I can't think of the name today. My brain is not working. The the, the week. Mine this week with this week tonight with John Oliver. Oh Oller. my God, yes. I love so that Last week tonight show. that one I couldn't be late. <laughs> I love that show. Um, huge fan of Netflix uh, because I can watch it wherever I am and 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 do all that. I think um, uh, I think there's some fantastic shows. I am so ashamed I've not watched Game of Thrones. I know, I know, I know. Everybody tells me I have to watch it, but um you know I, I think there's some fantastic things going in, in Notice that I said House of Cards, Orange is a New Black, Game of Thrones, drama. Drama, there's a, there's a way. And that's going to go away. I give it about five years, and the pendulum goes like this. And it goes, heavy reality, heavy reality, lots of crap, heavy uh, <laughs> reality. drama, 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 drama. And then it gets too expensive, and the advertisers don't support it. And then it goes right back to reality. And I would ask that question of that fam- fabulous person that's coming up, because they're always ahead of the curve. That company is probably one of the companies, uh, them and end them all. I think Endemol does amazing things. I would really keep an eye on them.
1: Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in class. Yeah, then. sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. That was incredibly helpful. Was so nice to be
0: here. Thank you for listening to Media Industry Conversations. This has been a production of the Department of Radio, Television, and Film in the Moody College of Communication at the University of Texas at Austin. For more information, visit rtf.utexas.edu/slash mic. This course was made possible by the work of Dr. Elisa Perrin and Cindy McCreary with lead T.A. Tim Piper, and the program was produced and edited by the technical T.A. That's me, Kyle Rather. We hope you join us again next time for another Media Industry Conversation. reminds me of the one I love